City Limits. Brought to us by the People's Committee for Melbourne every Wednesday at 9am. City Limits is Melbourne's only hour devoted to our urban environment. To transport and planning and housing issues. To privatisations and our utility services. To building and or maintaining a sense of community. 855 on the AM band, if we can hear it through the noise and find it through the smog. City, City Limits. OK, mics are on and we run City Limits. That's, um, it's the first Wednesday of the month, so it's Transport Day. And later in the program, we're going to have John McPherson, our regular transport commentator, on to talk about, believe it or not, hard to believe as it is, transport issues. Um, <laughs> And I'm Kevin Healy. Zeb Peaks in here today. And um, unfortunately, Karina's come down with some illness. She um, rang yesterday. It doesn't sound too well at all, but I hope she's okay. And we're wishing her well if, she, if she's listening. If she's smart, she's not listening. Um, <laughs> and Michaela Stubbs has stepped in. And Michaela, thanks for doing this for us. One of the many staff who kept the show on air for, or kept the station on air for, through this whole COVID thing, which has been a remarkable performance. But Zeb, we've got another guest today as well. You've got one lined up as well, haven't you? Uh, yes, we do. Um, listeners uh, last year might remember that we did an interview with Kerry Cassidy, who is the executive officer, executive officer of the Disability Resources Centre, and we're going to have her back um, to catch up on the latest news on their Transport for All campaign. Good, that's excellent. We'll go to that pretty shortly too, because with two guests, we don't want to have to spend too much time raving on as we normally do. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we'll see how we go on that. Um, the um, just an interesting item in the paper in the last couple of days I thought worth mentioning though Zeb was the um, uh, there's been charges laid against CFMEU members up in um, in Queensland because they were they had a picket line going for several months at Glencore's Oakey North coal mine okay and they had the audacity to call the workers who were uh, going through the gate and past the picket line scabs. And that now is illegal. And oh. uh, yes, they've been they've been charged with calling them all sorts of names. It's a terrible thing. And um, the um, but it's interesting that the story calls them the replacement workers, and uh, it doesn't mention scabs at all. But the story, which is in the Financial Review yesterday, talks about the others as being just replacement workers or alternative workers. But at no point does it point out that these people actually are. Scabs, uh, but because well, we can't say that now because it's illegal anyway. Oh, okay. We've just probably been illegal saying that. Oh no! Do you know where yes, the term I, scab I, comes from? I feel terrible. It came um, well I, somewhere in industrial history, but I'm not sure exactly where. No, but um, it's uh, it's 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 a nasty term. It's the worst term you can call anybody <laughs> uh, in these sort of situations. <laughs> but one encouraging sign yesterday, though, and it, it's uh, it's um, the fact that. Uh, young young woman called Anjali Sharma uh, is is representing a number of other young teenagers taking on the um, taking on the coal industry in the in the federal court and it's a terrific breakthrough and uh, good luck to them it's going to go for several days I don't know if they've got much chance of winning or not but let's hope they do but it's uh, it's young people saying their argument is that the federal they, they're, they're saying that the federal minister Susan Lay has an obligation to protect their future for them 
against climate change. And it's, uh, you well, know, that and sounds about right. It's about right, because when I see you there, Zeb, I think, well, it's your generation that's going to cop it from my generation in suits, <laughs> or the one of my parts of my generation in suits. And I think, you know, you, people like you must feel terribly bloody put off by the fact that no one seems to care. Yeah, yeah, solidarity to those people taking it to court. Um, but yeah, it's all your generation's fault, Kevin. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I feel terrible now. Look, we haven't poured the tea yet. We better oh, do that. Yeah. Everyone, you want a cup of tea, Michaela? It's, it's a Vietnamese green tea today. In a One Direction mug. Yeah, it comes in, uh, well, yes, okay. I'll, I'll well, take that one. <laughs> well, we did lose a, a musical person yesterday, so maybe we're doing it correctly. Um, there we are, pouring the tea. It's, yes, it, this is lovely, this tea. It comes in, in little globules, little little globules, and when, you, when you've done it, you have these tea leaves all over the place, so the, the little pellets, the, the little pellets the turn water. into tea leaves. Yeah, yeah, I love those ones. Yes, that's right. So this is a Vietnamese green version of same. Just the other thing we'll comment on before we go to our first guest. I thought this was fascinating because um, the the um, Elon Musk company SpaceX is trying to get people and various things onto Mars, and I think he's working on the basis that we've so stuffed up this planet, we need a new one to stuff up. But um, he, um, the, the, the first one, the prototype that went up a while ago, it came down in a fire. It came down and crashed on landing uh, and smashed up completely. And then last week, another one went up and it came down and landed in a fireball on the ground. Now, I find, what I find fascinating about this is the SpaceX announcer, John Inksprucker is his name, said, we had again another great flight. And I thought... <laughs> I thought, again? I mean, the previous one crash-landed. I Another. guess maybe the flight was <laughs> just the landing was a bit problematic. Another, because again, the previous one crash-landed. But then he said, and this is the bit I really liked, we've just got to work on that landing a little bit. <laughs> and I thought, my God, he is right. They've got to work on it a hell of a lot because they keep crash-landing, particularly if they want to put people in them. There seems to be a minor problem. Yeah. <laughs> like death. <laughs> um, well, look, it's now 9.10 on the clock. I'm not sure how accurate the clock is these days, but 9.10. And um, look, we'll take a break, go to our first guest, and we'll get um, talk about disabilities and transport and things. Yeah, yeah. let's go for it. There are many ways that you can keep up to date with 3CR news, events and programs. With Facebook stripping all of our content... It's a timely reminder to focus on the communication channels and platforms that the community controls. The 3CR website is a great spot to catch all your shows via audio on demand or scroll through our range of podcasts. It's also where you can sign up to our monthly newsletter, buy yourself a new t-shirt or check out archival audio from past broadcasts. Of course, we're also on Twitter at 3CR and Instagram at 3CR Melbourne. But don't forget our mighty AM band. Catch us anytime on 855AM. Keep in touch. 3cr.org.au Hi, this is Renata from the IWG Collective. We're calling feminists of all genders and feminist allies. March 8th is International Women's Day and this year it's special as it's also Labor Day in Victoria and a public holiday. 
This year's rally in March will kick off at 2pm at the steps of Parliament House and then we'll make our way through the CBD to the State Library. Come early and be part of a momentous event. There will also be a limited after party at the Queen Victoria Women's Centre. See you there. A 3CR supporter. As we go marching, marching, we're standing proud and tall. The rising of the women means the rising of the soul. Okay, back on City Limits and we have our Transport Week this week and first guest up is Kerry Cassidy. She's the Executive Officer of the Disability Resources Centre, um, here to talk to us about their Transport for All campaign. So welcome to the show, Kerry. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming. Um, so we spoke to you last year about uh, the Transport for All campaign and specifically about the... now the Victorian Auditor General's Office um, report on accessibility of tram services. Um, So they found that only 15% of tram services had both a low floor tram and a level access stop, which is completely unacceptable. Um, So what's been the progress of the campaign since we last spoke? Right. Well, we have actually joined with... Uh, other groups in our community who have a focus and, um, you know, a sense that if we can improve public transport for people with disabilities, more people will use it. Um, but so we've been able to, to, I guess, join forces with Friends of the Earth and mm-hmm. um, Public Transport Union. But also we've had a real drive to bring more people into our campaign through our petition. And online, um, we have some options for people to help us actually make a noise. So there's a few levels of that. One is, of course, signing the petition, um, which will go to the Minister for Transport. Um, There's options to write a letter to um, members of Parliament. So that includes the um, Minister for Disability, the Minister for Public Transport, um, and to let them know what we're doing and what we think about this Vega report and what we want the government to do in response. Um, we're going to bring all this together tomorrow in the city where we're asking people to register first, but to join us at the State Library where we're actually going to do a tram action and bring some attention to this issue. Yeah, OK. Um, so... How about we backtrack a bit, just for listeners that might not have caught our show last year. Can you give a little bit of background to the Disability Resources Centre and the campaign? Sure. Uh, Disability Resources Centre was established in 1981. This is our 40-year anniversary. And 1981 was the the International Year of Disabled People. So um, a group of well, many, many people with disabilities at that time felt that they needed con- to continue to um, stand up about against just discrimination and lack of access and segregation, a whole lot of aspects um, that people experienced with disability then. And our organisation has continued to, um, well, in terms of public transport, through the last 40 years, have been calling on the government to address these issues. So um, for us, 
the fact that the tram network in particular is only 15% accessible is quite disheartening because a lot of work has gone into this over a lot of years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so the last few years, we've done a couple of projects in relation to public transport. We did a research project in 2008, 2009, where we spoke to um, several hundred people around the state of Victoria to understand what the issues are Um whether it's train, tram, bus. And we've come to a focus with trams at this point of the year, mainly because of the Vega report and the fact we have this evidence to show just how discriminatory the system is. Yeah, and so there is, um, with the Disability Discrimination Act, um, um, (laughs) there's the Disability Standards for Accessible Public Transport, that is requiring that tram stops be um, uh, compliant with those standards by 2022 and uh, the actual low four trams um, meet that in 2032. So that's really not looking like it's going to happen, yeah? That's right. So um, the Vago report found that 27% of tram stops were level access, Mm -hmm. which sounds great in a way, you know, better than 15%, but they're no good unless you've got a low floor tram that meets them. Um, And the the level access tram stops, according to the Disability Standards for Accessible Public Transport, are meant to be 100% accessible by 2022. So the uh, Vago have recognised that there's just no way of meeting that target. Um, They've also recognised that Um, the Department of Transport, they don't actually have a completed rollout strategy or funding plan to how they're going to comply with the standards. And I guess that's what we're asking the government to do. What is your strategy and how are you going to fund this? Um, Because I guess once the 31st of December next year hits, they are actually non-compliant and then there's other options available to us um, to seek a change yeah. Kerry, um, I sometimes coming home from Big Market get the train round, get the tram round to Royal Park Station where I get a train going one stop to go home, uh, and I find it fascinating that as we get between the zoo stop and Royal Park, they say the next stop is Royal Park Station. This is the last accessible stop on this line, um, on this route. Now the route goes out to West Coburg, it goes out to the corner of Melville Road and um, Bell Street, so it's a long way to push a bloody wheelchair if you have to get off at the zoo at Royal Park Station, uh, it seems to me. It's it's a prime example of what you're talking about. That's right. And, you know, the CBD itself is is quite well equipped with, with level um, tram stops, but it really is useless to get on a tram when you can't actually get off where you want to go. We have, there's actually, it, it's an interesting example that you give. I know the 59 tram out through Essendon, there's a, a wonderful accessible stop out that way, but no low floor trams ever ever go past it. Oh, no. And so you, you, you can sit on that. You can, you can sit waiting for a tram at that tram stop and it will never come. There's no sign to tell you it will never come. Yeah. <laughs> these, these are the things that people with disability experience on a daily basis. Yeah. Um, and unless you're actually, you know, have that experience, you, you don't notice it. You don't know. And so we're trying to raise awareness of, of these um, 
situations that, that people find themselves in. Uh, going back, I'm showing my age, going back to the 70s, there was a group called Penny, People for Equality, Not Institutionalisation, who ran a yeah. lot of campaigns around the public transport issue. And people like Katie Ball at that time would chain herself to trams, for instance, with the heaviest wheelchair in Melbourne. So there were lots of coppers <laughs> with hernias and bad backs. Um, but, um, but, but at that time, governments kept saying public transport will be fully accessible in 15 years. And in the 80s, they kept saying it'll be fully accessible in 15 years. And in the 90s, they said the same thing. So I'm not sure what you're complaining about because they're still saying it'll be accessible in 15 years. <laughs> well, actually, at the re- current rate, um, it's actually not going to be fully accessible to, until 2066. And I don't know about you, but I don't think I'm going to be around then. Um, certainly the advocates from the 70s and 80s couldn't expect to be around then. So, yes. And, you know, Katie made a fabulous statement and it was 1996 and she said, we don't want to wait another 20, 25 years. Now, that was almost exactly 25 years ago. Yeah. And she was talking specifically about trams. So, you know, 25 years from that statement and we're at 15% accessibility. It actually is very hard to comprehend how poorly um, the tram network has moved in that time. Yeah, and the Stewart twins, of course, Martin and uh, Martin and Murray yeah. were very active at that time. They were both blind from birth. Now, that's another factor, yeah. isn't it? One of the complaints for people with, with sight disabilities is the, the announcements and those sort of things on stations and on public transport generally that can so often be misleading. That's right, and we're talking about 15% accessibility in terms of people who have, who have mobility aids, wheelchairs, scooters, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. We're not suggesting that, that that 15% of services is fully accessible for yeah. the whole diversity you know, of, of different disabilities. And, and I'm not sure that this last Vega report actually looked at that aspect, but you're, you're correct. Um, a lot of more work needs to be done in terms of providing accessible information, um, particularly about changes to um, timetables or even when you approach a stop, if you um, have a vision impairment, how do you know what the, when the next tram's coming? And we're, people are often told, oh, you've, you've just got to get the app. Get the app, but not everybody actually has access to it. I was on a tram on Sydney Road the other day, and it was giving it was it was announcing the next stop as actually the previous stop or the one after oh, it, yeah, but it was getting it wrong. Often. Now, when it does that, uh, they, they didn't correct it itself, so I presume the driver must have the capacity to change it. But, but obviously, anyone who couldn't see would be getting off at the wrong stop. Exactly, and we see that on the trains as well. I um, very recently, when I was on the train, um, I was at Parliament Station coming into town, and it was telling me the next station was Richmond, but I'd, I'd left there two stops earlier. And I do believe that the tram and train drivers can override and um, reset those announcements. But that, how do they know? How do they, you know, does that, do they rely on the public to say, "Hey, your announcements are out of sync"? I'm not sure, um, but it, it, it is a very real, um, you know, when if you're getting off at the wrong stop, very disorientated for someone, disorientating if you don't know that you're actually at the wrong stop.
might, <laughs> you know, you might have a concept of where you've got to go from that stop, but you're actually not where you think you should be. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so we've got this Vago report, um, which is dealing only with uh, mobility access of trams. And for that, we've got 15% accessibility, but not really, because that doesn't really account for the fact that you can get on, potentially get on a tram at one stop, but then not ever be able to get off. Um, Exactly. And so that's, you know, that's pretty much less than 15% accessibility. And we've got this build-up of years and years of the government putting it off. Um, So this is what has led to the Get On Track action that's happening tomorrow. That's correct, yes. So you want me to talk more about that? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so we've been putting a lot of work into um, telling the community letting them know this is what we're doing to um, make a noise and to draw attention to to the fact that that 85% of the tram network excludes people with disabilities. Um, So we're asking people to join us at the State Library. Um, Because of COVID, we really do want people to register. So you can register by going to our website, which is drc.org. Um, to let us know that you're coming. Um, we're going to be, we, you know, we're going to do it in a COVID-safe way. We're going to have masks available for people who want them. Um, and then we're going to make our way onto Latrobe Street um, where we'll, we're going to gather. And we're going to have a live um, Facebook live filming, live streaming at the same time. So you'll hear, if you're on Facebook and you go to our Facebook page, yep. which is uh, DRC at DRC Advocacy, or I think if you search on Disability Resources Centre, um, you'll be able to watch the action live. So for people, you know, fair enough, there's people at the moment who don't want to come into the city. Um, that's completely understandable. But you can still participate by watching live and you can comment. Um, you'll hear stories from people who have experienced this discrimination, who for years have not been able to get on a tram. Um, you'll hear from a member from the, the tram public transport union and also friends of the earth and why we've all come together to um, raise a, this issue and call for action from the government. So everybody is welcome to join us, whether online or in person. Mm. Okay, Kerry, because they often say, well, people with disabilities can um, can get half-price taxis, uh, for instance. Uh, but if you're on a disability pension for, for a start, a half-price taxi becomes pretty expensive, doesn't it? That's right. It's still expensive. And, and you think, like, uh, some people can catch a tram for a few dollars. But you know, for the same the same route, you might it might actually cost you twenty dollars. There's no real comparison in cost mm. um, with a taxi compared to catching a tram. There was an item in the in the last couple of days where the government's given some millions to toward some um, disability services. Do you know much about that? No, I don't know. I'm not sure what you're referring to Yeah, there. it was just an item what that said that they were making some millions available for disability services, but I, I wasn't sure what it was about. No. Okay. 
Oh, okay. <laughs> you might you might find out shortly, but the way we're going, it's probably nothing to do with public transport anyway. Yeah, I mean, disability service is a really broad um, term. You know, there's a lot of dis- especially under the NDIS, there's a lot of disability services from um, personal support. You know, so yeah, I wouldn't. I'd want to be sure about what I was talking mm. about before making a comment on that. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, I, some people some people can actually get transport included in their NDIS plans, but I mean, there's only um, you know about 450,000 people Australia wide who has a, an NDIS plan. So we're talking about you know 17 to 20 percent of our population have has a disability. Most people don't have access to that funding. Yes, and I also remember last time uh, we talked about the fact that transport is sort of a crucial factor in accessing a lot of uh, disability services and also um, just being able to to participate in society and the economy and um, take advantage of the things that are out there. So um, it's really an important um, aspect of being able to, well, get around. Absolutely. And one thing the NDIS has um, done for for people with disabilities, it has raised awareness. It has shown that people with disabilities are equal members of our society and have equal rights to actually access community. And there's been a lot of investment into um, places and spaces where people can participate. But what good are those places and spaces if you can't get there? And, I, and, you know, even if you can get there, people want to be able to independently travel. You don't want to have to rely on someone picking you up and taking you somewhere. If public transport works effectively, you can go and get on any tram, any train, any bus and get to where you want to go like any other member of society. And that is, I guess, the ultimate in, in um, inclusion people with disabilities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the word public sort of says it all, you know. It should be for the public, which is everyone. That's right. And, yeah. you know, people with disabilities pay taxes. Mm-hmm. Oh God, these <laughs> young people are so optimistic, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> Believing public means public, for God's sake. <laughs> Look, Karen, we're going to have to... Sorry, you're gone. I was going to say, you've got to have um, kind of idealistic hopes, I think, to dare demand change. If you, if you can't see a world where there's an ultimate, you know, inclusion and accessibility, you would give up. You would give up. But we, mm. we have to keep going because it, that is the, um, you know, that whole idea of full inclusion and full participation, it is possible so we can't give up. All right, Kerry, look, we're going to have to wind up because we've got to get our next guest on. But just to, just to yeah. conclude, uh, give us the details again on tomorrow's action. Sure. We're meeting at the, the, the State um, Library on the corner of Swanson and Latrobe Street. We really want people to register. Please go to our website, drc.org.au. Click on Join the Action and you can um, go follow the prompts there. Um, also, we'd ask people to sign our petition. Um, there's details also at drc.org.au on how to sign our petition. And what time is it tomorrow? Thanks. 
Oh, good point. We're going to meet about quarter to 12. Right. Splendid. Thank you so much, Kerry. Um, We'll pop the details in our show notes as well, which might uh, come in a bit later. But if anyone is listening to this uh, later on in the week, then you have those resources um, to go back and, and find out more. Thank you very much. Thank you. Okay. Thanks, Kerry. Okay. Bye-bye. All right. We'll take a break short. We'll take a break shortly when the microphone comes back on and get uh, John McPherson on the line to talk about transport, more about transport, in fact. Get on your feet. We're taking it to the streets. Won't that be? Zeb, what did we just fade out then? Mob March by Emma Donovan and the something. No, that was it. That was it. You got it right. That's it. Very good. On the line, we've got John McPherson, our monthly and regular commentator on public transport and transport issues generally. Um, John, we've just had an interview, I don't know if you listened to it or not, um, about um, access to disability, access on transport mm-hmm. for people with disabilities. Uh, Comment on that, because um, you've been involved with this for a long time. Yeah, good morning to you 
both. And um, yeah, um, I did hear most of that interview. Uh, yeah, it was pretty um, pretty salutary, wasn't it, to hear how little things have changed in in a you know a long period of time. Um, we're supposed to be in this modern age where things happen fast and and uh, things get sorted out. In fact, I think our premier was just. I heard him earlier. He was talking on another station, and he was saying how how fast he likes to act <laughs> when things when things have to be have to be fixed and. Uh, I would say the disability on public transport is an area that um, they have not covered themselves in, with, in glory with over the last, shall we say, 30 years. Or longer, actually, yeah, but it's... Um, yeah, and yeah. they've been promising, uh, as I say, they keep telling us it's 15 years ahead and uh, it's always 15 years mm-hmm. ahead. I suppose that's yes. about it. But also on... On um, on acting quickly, I was thinking this morning. I came up on. I got a bus across and a tram up Nicholson Street oh, yeah. um, yep. this morning. And on the Nicholson Street tram, um, th- there were two things that that struck me. One was that with the way the separation is along Nicholson Street that the council mm-hmm. has put in years ago, it's much where cars can't get in the way of trams. Yes. They move so much better, obviously. Yes. But the second factor was that in the freeway struggle in the seventies. We were promised that once the freeway went through, and it effectively has, uh, all those north-south routes would get access, would get priority at all the intersections with the freeway. (laughs) And this morning as we sat there waiting for ages for the lights to change, I thought, obviously even with modern technology, it's taken a long, long time. It's like 40 years to work out how to do it. Well, they know how to do it, Kevin, but they simply don't want to do it. The um, the boys of Vic Roads have, have definitely still got priority when it comes to talking to the talking to the cabinet about these things. But by their mate Tim Pallas, I would call him their mate. Um, the the um, traffic light pre- the traffic light priority has been uh, remained solidly in favour of the car. I'm afraid. Yeah, you're right there. That's Alexander Parade we're talking about. It is indeed, yeah, yeah that's right. Yes, yes, there are four, I think there are four quite important tram routes across that, um, in that short distance. Is it four? I think it is, yeah. 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 And uh, and uh, at all of them, the um, the um, Alexander Parade traffic gets, um, gets, gets an incredible amount of frequency. I mean, it's possible to design these things so that the tram can go through pretty much with it with very minimal um, minimal hold up and then maybe give a longer a longer uh, cycle for the cars on Alexander Parade next in the next cycle to uh, compensate but they don't even bother doing that sort of thing the trams just wait and wait and wait mm. even even though they're hard as hi <laughs> even though they're um, they're uh, big trams with you know hundreds of people on board if they're running full, um, as we hope they will be in the future, um, yeah, it's um, it's still it's still pathetic, uh, in my view, particularly in the inner city, where you would think that public transport would be getting the priority over uh, over cars, but it doesn't happen. Certainly not in Melbourne. Yeah, and speaking of traffic light priority, you also have exactly the same thing happening um, with pedestrians. Some traffic lights where I go to cross on foot, I have about yep. 10 seconds to get across mm-hmm. the road and then mm-hmm. the red man is flashing and I'm cars are sometimes, yep. you know, revving their engines menacingly. 
Oh, yes. Yes, yes, that's right too. Yep, there's... Um, the way that the way the pedestrian uh, lights are set up at some intersections is is weird. Um, and here's something that I've noticed where they don't even bother giving the pedestrians the the uh, maximum amount of uh, crossing time they could they could provide because there are times when the green man might come up and uh, the green person I guess we should call it mm-hmm. and it doesn't stay up very long. And then there's then there's a walk time for the pedestrian, and then there's a whole lot whole long phase where the where the where the lights are still running for the cars, but as a pedestrian, you couldn't have started crossing later in the um, in the phase of the traffic lights. Mm. No, you and know, especially well, John, yeah, especially yeah. where you've got um, say Victoria Parade, um, yeah. Alexander Parade, where you've got a, a median yeah. strip in the middle, and there's two halves. Yes. Uh, it's it's effect at normal walking speed. It's impossible to cross on one light cycle. Correct, correct. And and consider too what what all this does to somebody who's who's say in a wheelchair or or uh, you know who may be walking but may be slow. Mm-hmm. Um, all these all these things just make any 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 crossing of these these major streets, and there are plenty of them around around the inner city. Um, you know, twice as hard. Uh, and and you know that is completely completely ignored because the car must have have priority at every every stage. Uh, mm. Yeah, um, I mean sometimes <laughs> it's possible to get the traffic lights if you ah if you talk to your local traffic engineer or your local council, you can sometimes I've I've managed this in the past to get the traffic light um, pedestrian cycles adapted to, to be slightly better for the pedestrians but then you'll find that say a couple of years down the road there's some sort of re-jigging um, goes on of all the traffic lights for whatever reason and everything goes back to the standard mm. standard pattern that's very pro-car you know it's very hard to even maintain an improvement that you might have managed to negotiate with your your traffic engineer at the local council it's it's extraordinary yeah, just just on that, um, there was a letter in the Herald Sun of all places um, last right. week by a bloke yep. called John S. Ratray of Greensboro. I'll just uh-huh. ask for your comment because he says, would previous state planning departments over the past 30 years acknowledge their errors in planning developments such as Whittlesea and Lorimar before building adequate road and rail services? Freeways and ring roads built in mini form only to be continually upgraded to match rising volumes of traffic are planning failures but then says the development plans now being implemented for infrastructure in Victoria are a great improvement. Uh, John, the last paragraph, what, what great improvements uh-huh. are we facing? Uh, yeah, I'm very interested to know. <laughs> 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 um, maybe maybe, uh, maybe yeah. there's some resistance to just, you know, to the predict and provide model of uh, road building. I don't know. I don't really see it. Um, um, one one thing that I can think of that he might be talking about is that apparently the actual physical layout of um, newer newer suburb designs is is less complex. You know, there was a period there when you know uh, the, the the layout of the roads for suburban houses to be built was became very very complicated with lots of courts. And dead ends and winding streets, um, and, and you know it looked it looked pretty on a map, 
but um, in many ways, though, they've now reverted to the the more um, square, you know, square old-style development, you know, where roads just cross each other in a, on a grid. Mm. And that, people are saying now, is, 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 um, is um, superior in that um, it can, it, it, it's easy to understand, to understand the pattern. And it means that um, things like buses can be put through a, a, a suburb on that design much more easily because that was one of the things that happened with the old, you know, with the more fancy, more serpentine designs. They really completely forgot about putting things like bus services through. Um, so, so they're going back in some ways to the old square, Squaresville pattern. And, and it has got it has got quite a lot of advantages for yeah. uh, ease, ease of, you know ease of understanding and that sort of thing. That does uh, make sense. It, yeah, it does. It does. It does make sense. I, I can see. I can see the advantages of both. You know, the other one is more interesting to look at on a map, mm. but it mightn't be more interesting to actually um, um, you know manage as a, a, a as a user, either walking or on a. Or on a push bike, or, or that sort of thing. Yeah, so if you have lots of um, lots of long cul-de-sacs, it's not really ideal for a bus to go down each one and then come back out and and things like that. So yeah, yeah, yeah. that does make sense. That um, yeah. the square grid way of designing suburbs, mm. though, that just reminded me of. I think it's um, in New Zealand, Dunedin uh, yeah. has the steepest street in the southern hemisphere. Oh, yes, yes, um, yes, I've heard of that. Yeah, and so the reason that they have this incredibly steep street is because the whole town was designed back in England before mm-hmm. um, any of the planners had actually, like, seen the terrain of um, where Dunedin was. So okay. they just didn't take into account the fact that it was incredibly hilly. And they were just like, oh, yeah, let's put a grid here um, and ended up with one of the steepest streets in the world so planning right well yes <laughs> yeah well obviously there are places where you have to be have to be a little bit more a little bit flexible i mean the grid the grid doesn't have to be absolutely at right angles i would have thought i would imagine the grid could could move around a bit uh, as long as you can you know as long as you can still get some idea of where you know understanding where you're going from the from the from the layout yeah um, yeah, that, that could be something he's he's um, talking about, but um, but he may even be talking with approval in that letter about you know oh well they're putting in huge huge arterial roads now mm. uh, you know because in the future there can only be inevitably be more more traffic. Um, well, he's in the path of the East West Link if you look at his address. So yeah, that's maybe he's waiting for that to happen. Is that what it's called, the east-west link, whatever that one's called? Which one, the north-east the link? North-east link, that's the one, mm. yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, get okay. it right, Kippy. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that's right. <laughs> but, I mean, talking about, um, I mean, we're pretty safe in terms of what uh, Zeb just said about planning because there's none here, so there's no planning <laughs> to stop up. Well, that's good. Um, yeah, well, yeah, well, it's, um, it's, a, it's a bit of a conundrum because we're still... We're still mad keen on, you know, low, fairly low density development, even though there is some more medium density stuff going on a bit. We're still mad, mad keen on, you know, new suburbs right way out on the edge of the city. 
and um, you know then we get the howl for people wanting to get to the city you know get the CBD for work and finding that their um, that their roads are absolutely clogged in the peaks and uh, and then they try and use what public transport there is and they find that's that's you know that can be hopeless because the bus services are very very and um, I think that might be my ear hitting my phone. I think oh. I, I <laughs> yeah, think there I was a little break in the audio there. Well, no, it's important right. to have your ear near the phone, John, because otherwise well, you won't be able to hear. It's, um, it's got to be near the phone, but uh, <laughs> not doing things to just, the phone. Just on, on that, you mentioned about the bloke who might be excited about roads. Transurban yeah. recently announced that it expects a big year ahead because it says in the post-COVID economic recovery, it expects governments to spend millions on new roads, which it's quite excited about and presumably hopes it will own. But that's a pretty pretty nasty thought, isn't it, if they, if they think there's going to be lots and lots of public money going onto more roads? Uh, yeah, 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 you would think so. Um, it's funny how we've had this, you know, the, the, the COVID virus has sort of, the assumption made is that it's going to make everybody want to travel, you know, isolated in their in their um, mobile bubble even more than in the past, mm. and and therefore the um, the um, providers of uh, road transport are rubbing their hands to, hands together in glee, and of course that that's you know preeminently preeminently in Melbourne that's some um, transurban, um, but uh, you know the. The situation is uh, is is going to get worse in many ways if we, we're going to become that sort of city. And of course, the the looming thing of electric cars is is in you know some degree a good thing uh, in terms of um, you know pollution reduction. But but a, but an electric car is still going to be a car. You know, it's still going to take yeah. up a lot of a lot of space per passenger on the roads, and it's still going to be. Um, you know, it's still going to be a um, a less than ideal form of, of transport. You know, you would think for the for the future city, uh, but that that seems to be the, the way things are moving. Although in Australia, we seem to be really dragging dragging our heels about that. Uh, uh, so, so where we end up is hard to know, uh, but. Um, my impression of most governments in you know in Australia, including our Victorian one, is that they'll do whatever they can to go on catering catering for the cars in whatever form that they uh, come along. Mm. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, of course currently also public transport usage is down substantially, and yeah. I, I presume on the other side of that, car use is going to keep going up, or they keep predicting it's going to become bigger and bigger because yeah. people are eschewing public transport. But that yeah. that could lead to governments then saying, well, there's more cars on the road, we need to make more car, more road space available That's right. Them. Well, that's right. And uh, with Transurban pushing pushing as hard as they can for that for that to happen. You know, it seems almost like city Melbourne planning has been taken over by Transurban. And uh, we are being, Melbourne's now being designed as, as the best kind of money-making scheme for Transurban, you know, mm. uh, with no um, apparent worry that people are going to end up paying more and more in road tolls. That seems to be just a given and just a shrug of the shoulders and, oh, well, that's how it's going to be, folks. Mm. And that's so, how it is because this morning on that tram, for instance, that tram is normally packed and, in fact, yeah. in fact, most most mornings... 
when I've taken it after two or three stops from where I get on, people really can't even fit on it. Uh, yeah. They're stuck on tram stops. Now, this morning yeah. there was plenty of room. I didn't take a seat because there, no, there were lots of seats, but none where you could distance properly. So I right. stood up. But nonetheless, yeah. at Gertrude Street, you've got to fight your way out, whereas this morning yeah. I just sort of turned and walked out. Um, <laughs> so you know, the, the patronage is way down. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, way down. Well, look, a, a little litmus test locally, locally here. Um, uh, my street, um, it's, you know, in a, in a Collingwood near the, not far from Smith Street. It's, um, I, in the past I've noticed there are some days of the week when, when it fills up with car, cars parking and other days when it doesn't. I noticed, noticed um, it's now getting full of cars parking every day of the week. So these are people who either either, either used to travel by you know, public transport to work, work in in Collingwood or somewhere near the city, but now I suspect there's a higher proportion actually driving driving in, and they'll continue to try and do that at least in the future I would suspect. So you know, it's it's the case that public transport is for most people second best option because. You know, if they have a car available, they'll try and use the car for their commute, uh, for sure. If, unless it gets too too difficult with, with too much congestion and too too hard to park, and then they'll look at using public transport. That seems to be the way Melbourne is at the moment. Hmm. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, we're heading up to the end of our show, but I suppose this is a bit of a tangential question to what we've been yeah. talking about. But I've just been wondering um, what you think about... Uh, lots of people use the term the road lobby and um, mm-hmm. definitely companies like Transurban have a big influence on transport planning. But um, yep. what do you think about like uh, this idea of the road lobby and is it... Um, does it exist in a comparable way to, um, like, the fossil fuel lobby? Um, and who exactly would be in it? <laughs> yeah, well, it's a good it's a good comparison with the uh, fossil fossil fuel lobby. Um, uh, um, yeah, it, although I think it's it's probably um, sort of broader than the fossil fuel lobby. Although I suppose you could say that you know petrol petrol for cars is um, is uh, part of the part of the mm. uh, you know the the lobby yeah um, yeah, uh, yeah well you know if you look at the economy the um, the um, the companies a lot of them are multinationals and a lot of them are other large Australian companies that are involved with um, with uh, transport you know or road transport are uh, are very big and then you've got the argument that you know that's in goes on all the time, oh, yeah, well, to make the economy work well, we've got to have generous road provisions so that all those goods and services and things can be driven around easily all the time without the um, commercial traffic getting caught in, um, caught in congestion. So there are a lot of, a lot of um, interests um, in, in, the, um, in, the, in the road transport lobbies, I, you know, I'd say there there really are. There's the road builders of various kinds, and there's companies of all sizes who build road projects, from little ones to big ones. Mm-hmm. Um, even even when you think about it, you know um, there are parts. There's plenty of people in the um, 
government or local government and state government and federal government who all who all think that um, you know road building more roads can never be the wrong thing to hmm. thing to do you know if it went in doubt build more roads it's sort of um, I, I, you know sort of a mantra that governments um, um, you know spout almost um, uh, if you listen to the um, our fairly pathetic uh, opposition in, in state parliament you know you'll You'll hear them always on the on the uh, road, the road building mantra. They, they they hardly ever shut up about it. Um, it's it's a to me it seems like there's a you know it's not a there's not a transport um, there's not a transport. What am I trying to say here? That, that there's a transport. You know, it's so focused on roads, really. Mm. That, that, that it's a, that it's a miracle that anything gets <laughs> gets done, but uh, you know, for, for for our public transport in Melbourne, you know, our local public transport, which is you, you know, for most people, it's buses. That that, that that's very poor, and it, not even the bus companies seem to campaign for better bus services. You know, which, <laughs> which is a bit odd. You'd think that they would want. They would want better services, and that they would be paid well, more. Paid more. Well, they get a guaranteed government handout, so they don't care yeah. much, I suppose. But That's John, right. we're going to have well, to wind up it. here because we're going to have yeah. to. We have to get out a bit earlier these days to prepare for the next show. Um, okay. But look, thanks for your time today, and I, I yep. just mentioned you're you're calling the state opposition fairly pathetic. I thought it was almost high praise for them, actually. <laughs> um, but uh, anyway, look, thanks for your time, John, and we'll talk again next month. Okay. Okay. Okay, goodbye, everybody. Goodbye, Thanks. Deb. Okay, bye, Kevin. Okay, and next week we've got energy. I think we're going to be talking to Paddy Moriarty next week, but we'll catch up anyway, see what goes on. Okay. Great. Right. All right, on to the break. Thanks, Deb. Thanks for listening. And thank you. Th- look, also, thank Michaela for doing a magnificent job. Yes, thank job. you so much, Michaela. What a good job. <laughs> You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.